You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Anybody remember a song from the 90s that went, Wake up, it's a beautiful morning. One hand. Ah, yeah, oh, some do, yeah. I don't remember how the rest of it goes. I remember the tune. Remember, tune's easier than words, don't you? Na, 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 na. Well, anyway, I, I'm not a fan of waking up um, a lot of the time. And um, a couple of mornings ago, I was having this incredible dream uh, that I was hiding my dog in a cupboard. And I was, um, I was back in the classroom as a teacher. And um, it was just a great, just weird scenario. But I was just kind of enjoying this vivid scene of, of me hiding uh, my dog in a cupboard in a classroom <laughs> while I was teaching. It was great. And then three doors down, um, our neighbour with his Harley Davidsons fires it up <laughs> really loud. And it comes through the window and I'm awake and just not a fan of waking up. I just, just don't want to do it. I just like my sleep. Maybe I should get to bed earlier. Maybe I should. Maybe I don't. But anyway, I like to lie in if I can. And for me, that means eight o'clock. That's a lie in these days. Um, for some of you, you've got different time clocks and all that sort of thing. Um, but isn't it easier to get up in the summer? In fact, it's easier, um, to, it's too, sometimes too easy because the sun blares through your window. If blaring is, a, is an audio word, isn't it? Uh, it, it shines through the window anyway, and it, it's a lot easier. I don't like getting up in the dark when it's the winter months, and um, you know that even when you get to work, it's still going to be dark. It's just really difficult, and uh, my usual walk around Battery Gardens with a dog, done in the dark is just not as fun, and uh, it's, you trip over the steps and all sorts of things. But waking up is not always easy to do, but I just felt this morning led to talk to you about having a spiritual wake up. And so this is not talking about non-Christians um, seeing the light and becoming Christians again. This is talking about rising and shining. And last week I opened the meeting by reading from Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1 saying, and I think I read to verse 5, which is what I'm going to speak from this morning, which talks about rising and shining for your light has come. I believe there's a sense in which God is calling us to wake up. It's a beautiful morning. Let the Lord shine on us and we are to reflect his glory to a dark and a darkening world. So I've got a few thoughts to share about that and also a passage in the New Testament that I believe relates to it and relates to us as a church today. So are we ready to think about this? Well, actually, before we get into it, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we think about Old Testament prophecy and how we can, how we sort of interpret it. And who wears very focal glasses? Okay, quite a few of you in here. Now, as I understand it, and don't correct me if I'm wrong, just let me go with the illustration. As I understand it, um, there are different places you can look through in the lens, and they're for different distances. And so, um, if you're reading close up, you can. I've got Mark's copy of the message here. Um, you're probably looking through the bottom, well, you can tell me if I'm right, you're looking through the bottom of the lens, and then the middle distance, you look through the middle of the lens, and then further away, you look through the top of the lens, you sort of look all headmasterly and look over the, you know, like that. Well, I actually think that when we look at Old Testament um, prophecy, we can have those three lenses and think about which one we should be reading it through. We can, we can think about the, the immediate context in which it was written. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 60, 
1 to 5. And we can think about the context in which that was written. We can say, well, Isaiah was writing to a nation that if you read the previous chapter, you realize they'd been very naughty boys and girls. They were supposed to be God's children. They were supposed, well, they, were, they are God's children. They were supposed to behave like God's children. And they were living in darkness. They were living in wickedness. That's the immediate context in which the passage was written. And it's important to understand that. But then if we, if we lift our eye a little bit and think about the intermediate between... Now, what I'm thinking about is um, today, our day and age that we live in today. That's not the immediate context, but it's the day that we live in. We can apply some of these principles to our world. But there is also, in, a lot of it in Isaiah and a lot of it throughout Old Testament pro- prophecy and also in some of the New Testament writings, there's some stuff that predicts the the ultimate, the end times, what's going to happen. We look at the long distance view and we read some of the stuff and I reckon some of the bits of the verses I'm going to read today do apply to the, the ultimate, the end of time when the light of Christ shines, Jesus, the light of the world, comes back and shines on us in a way that has never been seen before. It talks about nations coming to the light and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I believe that's to do with the, the ultimate. Now, the danger is, um, if you look through the wrong bit of the lens, it gets a bit blurry. So if you're reading something and it doesn't quite make sense in the way you're trying to understand it, maybe actually it's just meant for another time. Um, So when we read Old Testament scripture, it's quite important to have that in mind. Today, though, I want to just talk mostly about the intermediate. That's the the age between when Isaiah wrote his scripture and when Jesus comes back. This is not going to be some sort of end times prophecy sort of talk today. Although there are people, when I started researching these verses, there are some that only comment on how this is an end times thing about how Israel's going to be big in the picture when Jesus comes back and and it's as if Isaiah 6 is only about the ultimate, the the end times. Well, I don't believe that. I believe there's some stuff in it for the church today. I think it's uh, an an important passage for us. So are you ready to get into it? Are you ready to think about it? Are you ready to be challenged because you're going to be told to shine today? And um, that's a good thing. So when you get to Isaiah 60 then, there's a lot about the glory of the Lord. So if we think about that, in the immediate context for Isaiah, it was that they'd been living in darkness and God was going to do a new thing in the nation of Israel. In the ultimate, one day Jesus will return and the glory of the Lord, like Mark said earlier, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, the light will shine brighter than it ever has done. Um, But in the meantime, in the intermediate, I believe this chapter has something to say to us today. So I'm going to look at it one verse at a time, five verses only, uh, but I will digress into a few other bits of Bible as well. So first of all, in chapter 60, verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines, sorry, rises upon you. This whole idea of shining is an interesting one because what is it that makes you shine? Is it the light within that is causing the Christian to shine? Well, kind of yes, because Jesus lives in my heart, Jesus lives within me, but is it just something within me 
or it's something else. And as I started thinking about it, I was thinking about the sun and the moon. And the moon shines, but actually it's not the moon's light that we were looking at, is it? It's the, it's the light of the sun. The moon tends to shine, but only because the sun is shining on it. And I kind of feel like that's a picture for us, especially in this passage where we kind of look at the whole idea that um, God's shining on us and that's why we shine. So really, God shines and we reflect. We reflect the light that is shone on us. And it's very easy to try and shine in our own strength. And sometimes we do have, well, we all have, actually, not sometimes, we all have gifts, abilities, talents, amazing things that we can do, but really they're only reflecting things that God has given us that we're able to do in the first place. They are gifts that God has given us. Well, actually, even when we're shining as an individual, even if we're not Christians, we haven't given our lives to Jesus, we still can shine by being really good in various areas of life. But actually, even without meaning to, we're revealing something of God because every person is made in God's image, whether they know it or not. And the, anything that is good comes from God and they're reflecting God. But what we're praying for is that God would shine on us in such a way that people recognise him in us, that like the moon reflects the light of the sun, they will look at us and see something that they haven't got themselves. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Arise, shine, for your light has come. It's very easy to become um, familiar with the things of the church. It's easy, having been brought up in church life, to get used to stuff and kind of get content with where we're at and content with our own salvation and enjoy the worship on a Sunday morning and enjoy fellowship with other Christians. And actually, there's a beautiful thing about that, but also we need to be discontented by the fact that some of our friends and our neighbours and our family are going to hell. We shouldn't be rested on that. We should be asking God to shine his light through us so that others would be drawn to that light. We mustn't get content with where we're at. We would be asking God to shine all the more, shine on us. We used to sing in the 80s, shine Jesus, shine. Thank God for Graham Kendrick and his amazing contribution to the body of Christ. Shine, Jesus, shine. And shine on me. What a great prayer to pray. But we've got to arise. We've got to take some action ourselves. So how can we shine all that more? So the bit of New Testament I wanted to read from was Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm just going to read this through. And I'm going to pray first, and I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us as we listen to the words from the Bible here. Heavenly Father, your word is challenging. It is, um, it is a double-edged sword. It divides marrow from joint and body from soul. And it divides thought from thought and helps us to see more clearly. And it's very challenging at times. And Lord, I pray that like the sword, it would also be like a surgeon's knife. And today, as we read your word, you would speak to us and you would allow us to cut out the cancers that might be living in our own spiritual world. And speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so Ephesians 5. This is 
You'll see towards the end why I've picked this, how it mirrors well this idea of arise and shine, for the glory of God shines on you. But at the beginning, um, it's not as evident that it's to do with light and dark. Let's have a look. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So if we're going to shine God's light, the first thing we want to do is follow God's example, which we can see best through the life of Christ, and live a life of love. Interesting some words that Paul said last week about um, when people, um, one of the biggest lies that people hear today is, or think today, is that if you disagree with them, you don't love them. I'm talking about just the way the church thinks about certain things or the things the Bible teaches about certain lifestyles and issues. And if we disagree, it means we don't love them. In fact, if we disagree, it means we hate them. It's not right. We're talking about loving people, whatever their lifestyle, whatever their personality type, whatever their colour, whatever their religion. We've just got to live a life of love. We've got to shine the light of God by just loving our neighbour. The Good Samaritan, fantastic example. The, the, the guy would not in the natural have done the things that Jesus said in that story of helping that guy. We've got to show love in that way. Follow God's example. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality doesn't say don't live a sexually immoral life it says there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people he said well I'm not holy then well actually you are God has redeemed you he's pulled your life out of the pit he's set you on a rock and you are set apart to be holy for him we are a holy people a royal priesthood a nation unto God because of what Christ has done and any lifestyle that doesn't match that is improper for the Christian nor should there be any obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness. Not you were once in darkness. You were darkness. You were dark. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. In the Wednesday night meetings, we're looking at the idea of righteousness. Last Wednesday, we were talking or I was talking and we were thinking and praying about God's righteousness the righteousness of God he is absolutely righteous it means following a correct code um, to the letter to the T without deviation without diversion 
God is righteous. We don't hear much about righteousness. We're happy to talk about justice. Again, Paul was saying this last week. The church is welcomed when it talks about justice. But when it starts talking about righteousness, it's not as welcomed because the the standards that are laid out by God don't always match what is convenient for people in the world today. But we need to stand up for righteousness and truth. Righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Care. Care what, what, you know, don't just come to church and worship him, but on, from Monday to Saturday, find out what pleases God. Care about what matters to God. God, what, what pleases you in this situation? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Wow. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Look at those two verses again. I saw a contradiction there at first. The first verse on the screen, verse 11, says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but expose them. So I'm thinking, well, how do you expose the deeds of darkness? Are you reporting things? You know, you're going around with a clipboard and then handing in your notes to the authorities? Uh, How do you expose stuff? And if if the, if, if the governing authorities, like when Paul was writing, don't even follow all of the rules of God, who do you expose things to? What does this mean? What is this about? Is it just about kind of um, telling the rest of the church that this person's a wicked sinner, I'm going to expose them? And then once I've just started thinking about that, it says it's shameful to even mention it. So how are you going to expose something without even mentioning it? It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Well, how can you expose something if you're not to mention it? By shining the light. You just expose without even meaning to. You're living such a good, wholesome, godly, Holy Spirit-filled life that just your very existence causes the demonic in people's lives or the sinful in people's lives to show up. You don't mean to. It just happens. It's, it's there in the next verse, verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And where does the light come from? You can't see the sun in the nighttime, can you? But you can see the moon. And everything exposed by the light of the moon is visible on a nice moonlit night. Well, remember, I'm saying that we're like the moon, reflecting God's glory in the dark world. Everything that is reflected... Sorry, I'll just read the verse. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated, that's like what I think we are, becomes a light. That's what I'm saying. The moon, we're the thing that's illuminated. We become a light. It's funny because Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he also said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that's why I picked these verses, because I just feel like they elaborate excellently what um, Isaiah 60, verse 1, is talking about. That says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And Paul is saying... Wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on 
you. And this is my prayer for us as a church. This is my prayer for Christians around the world, but my heart is for Brixham, and not just the Christians in this church in Brixham, but in all of the churches in Brixham, my prayer is that God would shine on us, but we can only reflect the light that we allow God to reflect. And these some of the things that I just believe God's challenging some of us to cut out of our lives, and I do see just that, and, and I know it can be an, upset, an upsetting image for some people, but just the sense of cutting out a cancer with the, with the sword of the word of God is just what I believe is, is right to be preaching this morning. That there's something that needs to be removed in order for you to fully shine. Because, you know, people know when you're not fully on board. You might say you're a Christian, but then they, they watch you live in, in a certain way and, and you just lose all credibility. People aren't stupid. And there's just some stuff I just believe that people need to be cutting out, and myself as well. I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what is it in my heart? It might not be something I'm doing. It might be something I'm thinking. It might be a a, a train of thought that I'm going down that the Lord wants to cut off and uh, redirect that train. It might not be a train of thought. It might be something I'm not doing that I'm supposed to be doing. That I, that I need to start doing and, and that will in itself start to reflect the light of God as he shines on me and why? because it's so jolly well needed in our dark, dark world Let's, I'm ready for verse 2 now I won't spend this long on every verse see, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people's it's like we're in, if we carry on with my analogy of, um, of the moonlight in the darkness, it's like we're having an eclipse. There is just no light at all. Even the streetlights have gone out. And thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. What a beautiful contrast. And his glory appears over you. Going back to the immediate context for Isaiah, Israel was in a dark place. Just flipping back to the previous chapter to get the context completely, it says Isaiah is speaking and saying justice is far from us. As I read this, I wonder if you make any connection between what was happening in Israel then and how we might feel about the world we live in today. Righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. The world, I believe, is in chaos, in turmoil. And, and in Britain today, if, whenever I watch the news, it's always about this same Brexit thing, and if it's not about Brexit, about something else, um, there just seems to be no stability. It's just turmoil and darkness. People seem to be groping around in darkness. Party is divided against party, but party is divided against itself. And we've got new groups springing up and all sorts of stuff going on. There is just darkness. We need God's light to shine in those circumstances. We need great Christians in those Positions. People were praying in the pre-service prayer meeting just today about God, let there be good... In fact, it was Carol praying for spirit-filled Christians in places of power. That's what we need. 
and let the Lord to shine in those dark situations. And by living lives, walking the corridors of power, the light would automatically expose the darkness. They wouldn't have to go around wagging the finger and being judgmental. We're not looking for judgmentalism, but we are looking for justice. We're not looking for self-righteous superiority, but we are looking for righteousness. And to have that in our world is what I'm praying for, and I'm praying for it at local level in Brixham. So darkness covers the earth. But what would it be like? The next verses tell us, verse 3 onwards, and I'm just going to three more verses, that tell us what it would be like. And I kind of still got this phrase going around my head, or this is not even a phrase, just revival ready, with a hyphen in the middle. Just us being revival ready. What would it be like? What's it going to look like if revival hits this town because we get our lives right, we care about the Word of God, we're living according to the Word of God, and we're praying for our brothers and sisters in the natural to get saved, and we're praying for our neighbours and the people around us to be impacted by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. What would it look like? Get a bit of a glimpse in the next few verses. How about this? Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Well, some are looking at the ultimate when they interpret this and they're talking about when Jesus comes again. But what about if there was something so incredible happening in our town that people were drawn to what was happening? People were drawn to the light, not drawn to a personality, but drawn to the person of Jesus. And kings to the brightness. I like that because... In Isaiah's day, kings would be the rich ones with, all the, with, the, with the royal splendor. But even with all the brightness of the royal splendor of a king, the king is drawn to this light, which is even bigger. And even today in our country, we've got a beautiful royal family with a beautiful baby just recently born, and all the the, the glare of the, the photography is on them. But what if, just imagine if the passion for Christ overtook the royal family. You know, I believe our Queen has, has a real Christian strength about her that isn't evident in, uh, in the, the generations that are following behind her. Um, just my understanding, and I could be completely wrong, but my uh, very limited understanding is that Prince Charles is probably more interested in the architecture of a church building than the mission of Christ. And that um, people tend to be thinking in those ways, that the, 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 the Queen officially is the head of the Church of England. But uh, as we move through, what if, what if the, a passion for Christ overtook the royal family. I know they don't have any political power anymore in the Houses of Parliament, but what, what an influence. What if, the, the, what if our royal family, the, the world loves the fact, I mean, people say, sorry, I'll finish one sentence before I start another one. The world loves the fact that we have a monarchy. I don't know what you think about the monarchy. There are people here who say we don't need them or whatever, get rid of them, um, and all that sort of thing. But the Americans envy our king and our queen. They love all that sort of stuff. So the world looks on, and they, they're, they're a family of influence. What if kings were drawn to the brightness of the dawn of revival in our country? I pray for our country that there would be revival here. Why not? It's no different from the revivals we read of in the past. The world's no different, really. We've just got more technology, and values are 
probably just as bad as they were. When you read about the times when revival was going on, we think, well, things were easier then, perhaps the world was more Christian. But when you read some of the Christian preachers in those days, they're talking about all this um, bad behaviour that's going on in the world and how far from God the world is. It's not, I don't think it's any different. Why shouldn't it happen today? So this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm praying for. Verse 4 says, Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Again, this is talking about um, people coming to Israel because the light that they are to the nations. That was God's plan for Israel all along. But just imagine that something's happening in Brixham where we don't have empty seats, that we've got the bleachers out of the back because people are drawn not to me, not to Mark Goodyear, although he is a very attractive figure, <laughs> but they're drawn to some kind of light that is resident here, resting over this, this church in a way that we just can't have conjured in our own strength. That's what I'm praying for. And then we've got this idea of your sons coming from afar and your daughters carried on the hip, like childlike faith, your sons and daughters. And, and some of us are praying for family members who have gone away from God, praying for them to return to Christ. Those who have made decisions in their youth and have gone away and, and got carried along by the world would be carried back on the hip as, as children of faith again, like childlike faith. Isn't that a beautiful picture of people coming back to Christ? That's what I'm believing for. That's how I'm interpreting this verse for me today. That's what I'm praying for. And that's how I'm using this as a, as a pattern of prayer, praying for people to come back to Christ. Wouldn't that be great? And I, I believe that this, in a way, has been ascending, or not in a way, this has been ascending church We've sent, before my time, we've sent missionaries out all over the world. We've had a heart for mission around the world. We've given and still give to mission around the world. And I just pray that they, they would be seeds that have been sown and that the Lord would send people back on mission to Brixham. There are people who've moved to Brixham not just because it's beautiful, but because they felt like God told them to move to Brixham. And that there are several people I speak to who say, God's told us, to be here. We don't know why yet, but we know we're meant to be here. This is the kind of thing I'm praying for in this verse here. People assembling for a purpose. God assembling his army ready for action. Something is brewing. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm believing for. So there's people feeling called to this, this location because I'm praying that people are called to this location for a for a kingdom purpose. There's people being called back who have gone astray. And then, of course, there's people who don't even know Jesus yet. So there's three categories of people there in this verse that this verse has triggered me to pray for. I'll just say them again. Those feeling called to this town because they believe God's called them here and we don't even know why yet. There's those being called back who've gone astray. They're just Christians coming back to faith or come back to Christ. And then there's those who don't even know Jesus at all coming to faith. First time commitments, first time baptisms. Wonderful. So that's what I'm praying for. Last verse just helps us to picture a little bit more about what it might look like. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. Uh, the wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Oh, I like that. That's great. Let's have a whole load of riches. Well, I'm actually more interested in heavenly treasures, which for me 
is people, souls, to put it in the old-fashioned word, souls, one for Jesus. They are true riches to me. People turn into Christ. That's the riches that I'm looking for. But I also do believe that um, to fund mission and to, to, to extend the kingdom, money is needed. And I do believe that there would be, uh, as part of a revival, it would be great to see people bringing funds to the kingdom of God. Why would they do that? Why would people bring wealth on the seas? And we, it's quite handy for us in Brixham. We've got the sea right next to us. Why would, we people, why would people actually choose to give into a fund like a local church? Well, I actually thought about this and thought of three reasons. Number one, because they just see it as giving to God. They'd be giving to God. They, just, they don't see it as giving to some charitable organisation. They just see it as an act of giving to God, an act of surrender, of finance to God. It's an act of worship. Another reason is because they start to see the way that that money is being put to work. Funding things like the Haven that Karen's uh, starting to work with a little bit more on a Wednesday morning in Paynton. Funding great evangelistic events. The way the money is put to work is, is done with integrity and with mission in mind. So they're giving to God, but they also see that the money has been put to work for the glory of God. Not just funding a heating bill and, and just trying to keep a roof intact in an old church building, but it's funding kingdom, sending missionaries out, doing amazing things. Every penny spent on mission. And the third thing is that they just want to... I can't remember what the third thing was, actually. I wrote it down. I memorised nearly everything else. Oh, yeah, miraculous multiplication. That was the third reason they wanted to give, because they recognised miraculous multiplication taking place in the church. So the church or whatever, yeah, whatever church they're giving to, they see they're giving so much, but actually, how is the church managing to fund so much more than the amount that was given? It's a miraculous multiplication. I've seen it in other churches where, where you know, the giving is, is X, but the amount of output from the church is ten times the X that was given because God has sent other resources in in the, in the, in the form of people, manpower, different kind of things. Um, that's miraculous multiplication of the giving. But also, that's for the receiver, for the receiving end, but also the person giving starts to see that as they give, um, God just doesn't outgive that person. And he returns. But it says in the, in the Proverbs that those who... Give to the poor, lend to the Lord. And if you're going to lend to God, I reckon he's going to pay you back um, pretty faithfully. He's going, to be, he's going to be good, he's going to be faithful. So that's why I think some people might want to end up giving. Uh, so it's not just about souls, it is also about finance. And, and why not if it's being dealt with in a kingdom way? Why shouldn't the kingdom have, uh, have money to do good and, and extend the kingdom even further. So they're my five verses and, and my thoughts on those first five verses in 60. If we want to, in Isaiah 60, if we want to see these things take place, let's just have a quick reminder of what it is we need to do. Back in Ephesians 5. Because if, if you're stirred at all by the, some of the things I've been saying, and I, I'm not standing here um, boldly prophesying that there will be revival this year in Brixham. I'm just telling you what I'm praying for. I'm telling you what I'm praying in faith for. And, and here's some stuff that I believe we need to get right in order for some of these things to happen in our own lives. 
just pulling out some of the positive commands in Ephesians 5, following God's example in verse 1. Living a life of love, living as children of light, which consists of goodness, of righteousness, and of truth. Finding out what, pleasing, what pleases God. And wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's stand together and pray and commit these thoughts to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we long to see you move. We long to see you move in our lives, in our families, in our homes. We long to see the miraculous. We long to see healings. We long to see miracles that testify to your glory. We long, really, we do long to reflect your glory, not for our own self-benefit, but for your kingdom's sake. We long for you to be reflected in the activities of this church. We long for you to be reflected in the lives of that belong to this church as we go out from Sunday into Monday and Tuesday and beyond, that what we do day to day reflects your glory, that we would follow your example, living a life of love as children of light, that we would find out what pleases you and that we would wake up. Father God, if there are things about us that you want to cut out in order to make that happen, anything that is just kind of blocking that channel, of your blessing, anything that's blocking out the light by our own sinfulness, Father God, we choose now to deal with that. And as we just stand in quiet for a moment, we stand before God and we say, God, help me to cut that stuff out. God, help us. We've tried in our own strength. We need your help. Holy Spirit, fill us and flow out of us in Jesus' name. And may we see souls come to know you. May we see more baptisms. May we hear more testimonies of lives completely turned around. Of a night and day difference between the life before Christ and the life since knowing Christ. Standing in this building testifying to what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.